So, hey, welcome to Happy and Succeeding in the Future of Work. And the future of work, I think, is going to be in part working in virtual reality, networking in virtual reality, having meetups in virtual reality. And, and so we're trying to get a, a handle on how this is all going to play out. And for today, I want to talk about uh, kind of an interesting topic, you know, where it does seem right now that companies have pretty much decided of what they're going to do about return to work. And I should even use that phrase because we've been working longer than any time in the last two years. It was kind of nonstop work. So <laughs> returning to work is not the right way to say it. Uh, it's kind of going back to the office. And what we're noticing is um, it appears hybrid is kind of the way to go, where it's two or three days in the office, a couple of days at home, and that seems to be, for the most part, what's happening. Clearly, there's other trends as well, like some people could be completely remote, some people are completely in the office, there could be digital nomads, so there's variations, but the hybrid seems to be the one. And I don't want to be that guy, but it does feel that the hybrid is almost a little bit of a trap, that they're going to bring people back saying, hey, two, three days a week, come on, you could do that. That's nothing. Let's say you do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then you have Thursday, Friday off at home, and then Saturday and Sunday, it'll be great. But I wonder, as time goes on, and then especially if, let's say, there's a recession, let's say there's something that happens to the stock market, to the economy, will all of a sudden things change? And then they start pushing everybody for four days and five days. And I, I feel that's a possibility, not 100%, maybe 20% right now, maybe it's a 10% possibility. And the reason I'm saying it is because I think there's a huge disconnect between the executives, the C-suiteers, and everybody else. And the CEOs, the, the, you know, the CFOs, upper management, high-level echelon executives, they have a completely different framework that they're operating under that's so different than everybody else. They want to be the boss. They want to be in power. At home, they're just mom or dad. And as Mike Culler said before we went on, and like, take out the garbage, walk the dog. Whereas in the office, if you're the manager, you're just strutting down the aisles. You're looking at everyone in their cubicle. You're barking orders. And you love it. And you get off on it. This is fantastic. I love this. Because when you're home, you don't get that. Anyone who's married and has kids you and dogs and pets, you know how it is. You get home, you're just, you're like nobody. <laughs> you're doing all the chores, you know, husband, wife, whatever, partner, whoever it is. You know, it's, it just changes. But if you're in charge, you know, with, with, with all the workers there, it's a whole different ballgame. So, Mike... Unadi, Christine, how do you see this play out? Do you see it's a tale of two cities? You have the upper echelon 
who might have nannies, private school for their kids. Maybe they have a car that whisks them back and forth to work. They live in, let's say, Manhattan, so they don't have to commute. The workers have to commute. There's high gas prices. There's inflation. It costs money for breakfast, lunch, dinner, all that. So the two sides are very different. How do you see this all playing out? You're definitely right in saying that there is a great disconnect. Um, there was a study that said employees are four times more likely to want to work remotely. And despite that preference, a majority of executives, which was 66%, are still building like their return to office plans. And um, companies like Bank of America like took the position, we're work from work. We're a work from work company, which like you said before, is a little bit offensive and condescending because <laughs> was that not work that people have been doing for two years? You know, when employees worked from home, these same businesses that are calling for a return to office not only survived, but they flourished immensely. So yeah, you're definitely I love right. that phrase, work for work. I, I don't know even how to process that. Like, is that, does that, is that a, you know, like you said, we were working more, like we were working more hours. Let's be honest with each other, all, you know, who's ever watching, everyone's been working so much longer, partly, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, because you were scared. There were so many millions of Americans who are, who are, you know, fired and furloughed, laid off. They're like, hey, I'm going to work. I want to hold on to my job. And then others, I'll put myself in this camp too, is that you wanted to be safe. You didn't want to catch, you know, the disease. You didn't want to spread it. So you want to be a good person. And so, all right, what are you doing? So you end up being at home a lot. And then if you're at home, you're like, all right, how much Netflix could I watch? So then you end up just doing a lot of work. And the beneficiaries were the companies because if you, you know, the stock prices during the last year and a half, except for lately where it was correcting a little bit, it was through the roof. So not only can you say we were, we were working, but not only we were working, we were productive and we made a crazy amount of money for these, uh, for whoever's holding shares in the stocks of the companies we were working for, because the, the, the prices were hitting all-time highs. And I would venture to say that the companies that are making people return to the office, they're going to see their employee, employees kind of draw more boundaries where they're, they're going to be a little bit pissed off. So they're going to say, okay, I'm only going to work when I'm in the office, and then I'm going to turn off my devices when I'm out of the office. I think we will definitely see, see that happening as a, a little protest. Dan, that's, you know, what? I got to take notes on that. Wait, because this is good for what, an article. I like that. So, so, so kind of this way, hold on, hold on, hold on, say it again. So I'm a very big believer in like, you know, you know, taking, you know, using everything to figure out how I can write a good article. So, so you're saying is that the people will, who are being told to get to the office, I don't want to name names, but let's say like, you know, big investments like Goldman Sachs are saying, go back to the office. And the people are saying, no, we don't want to go back and 50% of the people didn't go back. So when they're home, they're just gonna be cyber loafing slacking. Is that, is that what's happening? Like a little protest? I think they'll, they'll work when they're in the office if they choose to even stay at the company because we saw junior bankers at Goldman say, if I have to return five days a week, I'm out of here. So I think if you if for the employees that are forced to return to the office, once they're out of the office, they're just going to turn off and, and then make that clear boundary. Like, okay, we're, those are my work hours. And now this is my, my, um, my work-life balance time. But, but Christine, may I ask you, are, are you referring to 
they're 100 percent in the office or you're not referring to like a hybrid situation when they're working remotely they're just not going to work that's not what you're saying I'm, yeah, I'm referring to companies that say we're a work from work comp company. <laughs> that doesn't sound very flexible to me. So we're talking about, yeah, those five days a week uh, type of okay. companies. Work from work. That's not a great slogan. You got to get a better slogan. Like great resignation. That was a good slogan. Right. That that sounded pretty cool. Work from work. I don't know. This no, just sounds I, cold. This sounds cold and harsh. I, I'd like to throw a thought out there, if you will. Yeah. Um, no one can predict the future. I, I don't know that this will happen, but I, if I had to bet, I'm going to say, let's give it five years down the road. All this is going to be an afterthought and remote may exist a little bit more with techies, some coders, programmers, and things like that. Um, maybe recruiters, but um, you know, unless the pandemic rears its ugly head again, you know, I look back to, I don't know, after one of the recessions, there was a whole big Occupy Wall Street movement in Manhattan. Um, that's not, that's just a distant memory, if that, at this point. Um, and I just, I just feel it has to do somewhat with human nature as well. Um, even, you know, even if, yes, you can be with your family and you're in a, you know, kind of a, a nice house with lots of room and you have enough space and gear and technology to have a good home office situation. I think in general, Humans are adverse to being solitary and alone, and they like uh, so to be, they're, we're social animals at one point. Um, I know it's not what people want to hear, but um, if I had to predict, I would say that uh, there's going to be less and less of remote and hybrid options five years from now. To go with the social aspect you had said, um, the same Bank of America exec had said, if it's not fun or if it's not social, you don't get the joy out of it. It's really hard to think that people will come back to the office and see it as a good thing. And I just feel like people aren't looking for fun. They're looking for flexibility, autonomy, a work-life balance, childcare, health and safety, and just fair compensation. I think people have had that taste of freedom and and now it's going to be a lot harder to get them to want to come back. And especially at this inopportune time where we're seeing, you know, the cost of gas go up and inflation's at an all-time high. Highway tolls have gone up. So it's going to take a lot more convincing. You bring up very good points. Christine, uh, do, do you think that... Uh, so, sorry, Mike. No, no, I'm good. Excuse me. Do you think, Christine, that uh, even manager wants to work from home and then like they have a policy from the company that, you know, you have to get your team at the office. So do, do you think that's the case? I think it's the executives that are the ones that are shaping policy. And I think that's the problem is that they're not listening to their people. Oh, okay. I agree with Christine. I think it's Unadi middle managers and upper level executives just have a different perspective. And I'm not gonna even say they're bad or mean for doing it. Let's just, just kind of look at where they are. So if let's say you're at, let's just take an investment bank or you're at a tech firm and you're at the higher echelon, you're making a lot of money. You could afford to live in, let's say, Manhattan or San Francisco, these big cities without having to commute. The disconnect is for an average person working at the company, 
they're commuting in from, let's say, let's take Manhattan to make it easier, because that's where, you know, the, that we here in this, in this metaverse live. And not only do we live in the metaverse, but we also live in the tri-state area <laughs> in the real world. So you have people commuting from New Jersey, the suburbs of New Jersey, the suburbs of Connecticut, Westchester, Long Island, going into Manhattan. And that could take an hour, an hour and a half, one way. If there's traffic, no exaggeration, it'd be two hours. There have been times where I'm coming home, six, well, I was coming home, let's say six, 6.30 at night, there's a traffic, I could be two hours stuck in traffic. It's miserable. Mm -hmm. So for people who are used to commuting, going back and forth, you, really, you know how just horrendous it could become. And it's a wear and tear on your body, on your soul, on your psyche, you're exhausted. But if a person who is really wealthy because they have a high-end job as an executive in these companies and they could walk to work, they could be chauffeured to work, they have a company car that picks them up every day, maybe a very short train ride, their whole life experience is complete. They can't even understand what it's like to wait at a train station in the freezing weather, in the snow, in the rain, in the ice, the train's not coming because of the inclement weather. You're waiting, you get the next train and you've been waiting outside for half an hour, get on the train, it's crowded. The heat is blasting, but it's too much. So you're feeling miserable, you have a headache. You finally get off, maybe for a lot of people, once they get into the city, they have to take another train to where they're going then walk some more. It's an ordeal, you get into the office and you're already exhausted. So that for that person, you're like, I wanna stay home. For the executive, they don't get, that's what people are going through. So for them, it's a whole different universe. Yeah. Does that make sense, guys? Does that, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's, it's, so the two are in such different bubbles. Mm -hmm. That one bubble that has, picture this one bubble has like come into the office, right? You have a company car, pick them up, bring them into the office and they're, hello, Mr. Teller, you know, Hello, Ms. Mukaskis. Hey, hey, good morning. How are you? Can I get you a cup of coffee? What can I do for you? Here's your itinerary. You have a fleet of assistants and secretaries. You have a whole army of people to do your bidding. You know, you walk down the halls. Everyone's, oh, hi, how are you? Trying to carry favor. You're a big shot. You're important. They listen to you. They have to listen to you. You can kind of balk orders. And if you were home, you can't do any of that. Your spouse is going to be like, leave me alone. Your kids would be like, oh, hey, mom, dad, I'm busy. Uh, I'm doing my homework. All right, later. And you're nobody. So of course they want to come in and be a big shot and be in charge of everything and put on their power suit and feel important as opposed to being home and just, you know, you know <laughs> doing work at the kitchen table. And they don't feel that sense of empowerment. So it's, it's a psychological thing too, I think. What, what, yeah. do you, what, what do you think about that? You bring up very great points and a company should not only be a mirror for the country itself, but also its own people. It should reflect the needs of its workers or else you're just going to end up with a, a burned out, disengaged workforce. And to me, that disconnect shows ineffective leadership because they're not listening. They're not gauging the needs of their workers. And that just shows an overall lack of empathy. To me, the story here isn't remote versus in office. To me, the greater story here is the disconnect and why it exists. 
What does this say about current leadership? What is even leadership? Is it ruling with an iron fist or is it actively listening and coming up with solutions that benefit your people and the bottom line? And, you know, do these companies not realize that if their people aren't happy, that will affect the bottom line? I, I think those are very good points, but I think someone can be a more effective leader and creativity and, you know, kind of, um, you know, uh, um, doing all those things much easier when you're in an environment in person with people rather than leading remotely from technology in your own little world. Hey, speaking of remote, Mike, I can't see you. <laughs> did, you, are you did you go remote on us? Did you leave the office? No, my, my, my actually my computer browser crashed and then I oh. entered. I okay. am here. <laughs> Okay. Um, okay. Do you see it? Oh, there you go. I see you flying okay, around. Yeah, okay. I was just, when I re-entered, I was in a different place, I guess. Gotcha. Okay. I thought you went all remote on us. No. You were, you, no. You were practicing what you're preaching. Oh, no. But here's another example. Think about this. If you're a senior executive, you could not have missed out on this fact that there was, a, um, I don't have the numbers on it, but I, I, I'll say, so my data, my data could be wrong. But there's like a point in time where 800,000 women pulled out themselves out of the market, the job market, left their jobs because they felt they weren't, they didn't feel comfortable juggling, you know, their job and work in particular in places like New York and New Jersey, where they closed the public schools. So now you didn't have a choice. So if you had young children and they were in school, now they're home and they have to learn online with glitchy online. And my two, my two kids were in college during the pandemic. And they were having a really rough time coping with working online. So imagine if you have kids in first, second, third, fourth grade, junior high school, even high school, having to deal with it. So, so you, they knew that people were challenged and trying to juggle all this. But by at least being home, even though they gave up their job, they were able to kind of take care of their kids. So the executives have to know, okay, if we tell them to go back to work, there has to be a certain percentage of working parents who are gonna have to opt out and say, I can't do this. So to Christine's point, they should know that. And if they don't know that, they shouldn't be in leadership. Am, I, am they, I wrong about that? They should be also just serving their people to see what they want. People might want remote work and that might serve a company yeah. best, but you won't know unless you ask people and you listen. And to me, that that is the issue here. It's not, it's the fact that they're not listening. Yeah. Because if they're really listening, I, I, I would imagine people would have different agendas. Some may say completely remote. Some would say, hey, you know what? I would like to go to the office a few days a week. Um, some may say, I want to be a, a digital nomad where I could work wherever. There's some, um, I'm feeling this now, <laughs> to say, hey, I would love to kind of be in some other location by a beach and work and be a digital nomad and be get paid the same amount of money you know, being in some island somewhere than I would if I'm in a higher cost place like New York. So if they were listening, as Christine was saying, they would try to accommodate it because I think if they did accommodate, let me know what you think about it. Because if they would accommodate it, I think you would have a great, motivated, productive, engaged workforce because they could say, wow, you know, I, I needed a mental health break and I really just wanted to get out of New York City and be somewhere else, but I don't want to be disadvantaged by being not paid the same. 
but you are. And if you do pay me, you're the same. Wow, I am super happy. And, and I'm going to be appreciative and work harder. Isn't that like a logical thing for managers to do? I agree. I think let people work where they work best and then you'll see productivity, happiness, less burnout. I'm all for that. So why do you think some of these companies and it's the thing, it's not everybody's doing the same thing. So it's hard to tell. But for instance, I saw, I didn't read the whole piece, but you know how you kind of skim headline something, the, uh, it was a headline. So the article may not match the headline where Apple was asking for people to come back. And there was something that's kind of nominal as maybe one day a week, but still people bought. But then you have, let's say Wall Street, where most of the banks are really pushing hard to get people to come back. So how do you like, how do we, how do we kind of make sense out of this? Where like, what is something fair? What's not, I mean, how, how, how to be, to understand managers, like what, what would be a good way that they can kind of solve these issues? I think to just sur survey their people, ask them what they want and let them decide. Like give micro surveys, like, Hey, here's like, and I don't mean to downplay it, but like almost like a checklist, right. To say, mm -hmm. okay, here are different options that we have. And then you could kind of list off the different options and see what they want. And then maybe fill in, hey, maybe we didn't think of something. Is there a different choice? And then yeah. you just kind of, and then maybe would it make sense? Because this seems kind of logical, right? Then why don't you have it decentralized where it goes down to managers for different teams and then the managers could speak with their team members and at that ground level, kind of sort it out. I agree, work with people on an individual, like case-by-case -case basis. Renati, Mike, what, what do you two think? I must say that companies like, like a big, big companies like Apple, Amazon, they have like a big infrastructure uh, for, for their employees. And uh, they, they have recently bought a lot of, um, uh, you know, place to build their, you know, mega structure uh, to, to, to make it workplace. Uh, so yeah, definitely they are going to ask, you know, employees to come back. See, it's, it's interesting. So what you're saying is like with Apple and some of these other and uh, Meta, but they cut back on it, would offer these really lush benefits where they'll do your laundry. And I'm not exaggerating, do your laundry. They'll have these to-go boxes with really great foods. You go to cafeteria, free food, and then you can just put them in a box, bring it home for your family, for your friends. And, and all sorts of other, just like, just cool perks. So that, and this was pre-pandemic, but I wonder now where people say, wait, what's more important to me? Coming into an office that's really super cool and neat and interesting, and I get free breakfast, free lunch. Um, other, other kind of, <laughs> I think it was Google to entice people were offering one of those motor scooters so they could scoot around, which I thought was really weird flex to say, okay, come back to work and you could have like a scooter or choosing what's right for you and just being happy. Yeah. Well, Oops. I was going to say, instead, they're just trying to justify their real, real estate investments. <laughs> See that I think, bingo, I think, I think you got, you're onto something. I, I, that's probably a big, big part of it because 
real estate is not cheap. And for these companies, whether it's New York, Philly, Chicago, Dallas, San Fran, it is expensive. So they have, and when you sign these leases, these big companies sign these long-term leases and they're on the hook for a lot of money. So yeah, see, this is a thing that like no one is really talking about. So it, it, I've got to take another note for this, like expensive leases, note to sell expensive leases here. This is a hack for people who, if they're interested in writing, always kind of keep notes of everything because then it, it cause you, you, you say you remember it and then you can't remember it. And then you try, and you're upset that you can't remember it. So take notes, just a little writer's hack. Anyway, so with the money they're shelling out for real estate, they gotta feel foolish if no one's in there. I gotta admit, if let's say I was a CEO, I gotta, I gotta admit, and, and I have a 10 year lease in a midtown Manhattan office, and I would say square feet, but I don't even know how much like square feet is big, but let's say it's a really big office. I would kind of feel stupid that I'm like the only one in there. And like, God, I'm just flushing money down the toilet. So I, I, I wonder if that's the unspoken thing that no one really wants to talk about. What do you think, oh. Chris? That, that, that's really it. Like, that's like, like one, of the, one of the big things is like, you don't want to feel like an idiot that you spend all this money. And, and not only an idiot, because you, you feel like, boy, I'm a dope. And I don't want to be a dope. So if everyone's in the office, then I'm not a dope because everyone's in the office. But if no one's in the office, uh, boy, I'm just wasting money. Yeah. And also, it's easy to be hard on these companies. But I also acknowledge that they're also in a really tough spot because on one hand, they have to serve the best interests of their employees. But then there's also the pressure to serve like the greater part of their community as well. So these big companies in New York City, they also have to look at, you know, not having people come back to the office. How does that um, affect like the, the ecosystem of small businesses around them? Yeah. They could yeah. ultimately make these small businesses shudder. So that I want to acknowledge that, that these companies are in a very tough spot. Yeah, you know, and, and I think I, all of you make really good points and, and it makes me rethink my, my prediction, if you will. It's going to be a big battle and it's not going to be resolved for a long time because, again, trying to just sort of outline these points. Absolutely, the real estate is there, the commitment is there, whether you own the buildings, you have a 10-year lease or whatever. Um, and here's the thing, if the employees stick strong and they're, they're, they're not going to come back, the business is either going to have to be open to them working remotely, say they get the same output, they do the still the good business that they do and they make profits, eventually they're just gonna have to take a loss and get rid of that real estate. And what's gonna happen is if you, if you, you know, look at one firm and then look at you know, a large percentage of firms in a city that that same thing happens, it's going to definitely be the end in a way of cities as we know them. Why did cities really start from the beginning well, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have where you could a click of a few clicks on your smartphone and you could get your food, you could get your products, you could shop. You, you, you had to do all these things going into a city. That's why it was pleasurable. And hey, you know, let's move our business into a city where there are all these great amenities. Now the amenities are there in someone's home. So is it possible we may come to some sort of, you know, demographics and social society where cities are, uh, more a thing of the past because everything becomes more, you know, personal and at home. Um, or uh, will the companies try to not take a loss on their real estate and say, okay, we're just going to restaff everything. I, I think back to 
Ronald Reagan with the air traffic controller strike. And he made a big thing to bust that union or the strike and say, fine, you're all fired. Everyone said it can't be done. We won't have you know, air, air, air service as we knew it. Yet eventually all air traffic controllers were replaced by those who wanted to work and didn't want the demands of the union. Um, I know it kind of sounds abstract a bit, but there's a lot of moving parts here to really consider on where what's going to happen and where we're going to wind up. Well, one of the things you're saying, it's interesting, is that, you know, people are, are going to make their decision what to do, and then it's going to see how it plays out. And is there enough people say, I don't want to go to an office, and, and if it's a, it remains a hot job market and there are other opportunities, I think the the uh, leadership of of these businesses are going to have to have to be um, malleable, because let's say you have ABC company, and they say you have to be back in the office five days a week or even four days a week, and there's a significant percentage that say nope, we don't want to do it, and now you risk you're going to have a, a high percentage of a disengaged workforce that's has one foot out the door that's looking all the time because they're going to be looking for better hybrid or remote work. So they're not going to be that motivated. So if you're fielding a team, picture a sports team, right? So if you feel the sports team, that's just, 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 just not, their head's not in the game. They really don't care that much. They're looking for a trade. They want to be a free agent. They want to go somewhere else. They're not giving it their best. So if you have a whole lot of those under one roof, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. You're, you know, so, so if a smart leader should get that because you're not going to, you wouldn't think of fielding a basketball team where no one really cares and everyone wants to be, you know, uh, you know, traded to another team. Everyone wants to kind of extend, you know, have their free agent kind of deal going on. They're not going to, uh, they're just going to go through the motions. Yeah. They'll play and try to win, but you know, it's not the same. Yeah. Same thing with business and, and they're going to leave. And right now in a hot job market, their opportunities. So then, you know, people can say, I don't have to deal with this. I can leave. Now, if the market crashes and everything does, then, then there's not going to be a lot of choices. Then the managers and bosses could say, Hey, here's what we want to do. And you're going to say, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Cause you want to have a job. So it's, it's going to depend. I think a lot depends, you know, on the hotness of the market. That's going to dictate the terms. There's one solution that we didn't even talk about. And that's offering people more money. If you're going to make them come back to the office. Right. You know, that reminds me of like you talked about sports teams, Jack. What about, you know, the teams that are in the very soft, you know, not a lot of TV viewers market, you know, out in the middle of nowhere versus, say, New York or L.A. Well, what did the leagues do? They came up with, you know, like revenue sharing with all the TV money and things. And also, Christine, to your point, um, to get star players at, at, at a not so great, you know, uh, place in the country where the team plays, they, they get them huge contracts to move them there. Yeah, there's this um, economist, Nicholas Bloom, and he made a great point that people assess their losses and gains in an incongruent manner. So people are always more upset when something gets taken away. So to counteract that loss of autonomy and flexibility, companies will have to offer more pay, better benefits, more paid time off to get people to not only want to come back to the office, but to get them to stay at the company. Right, so if you take, so what you're saying is like Nicholas Bloom, is saying if you if you take away that autonomy and freedom you had for two years, that hurts more than if you never had it to begin with because yeah. you had it. You had the taste of it. You had yeah. the taste of not having to commute. You know, of being home, of seeing your family. 
and seeing your friends, maybe having some hobbies, you know, doing different things, and then it's taken away, that hurts. Yeah, there's that saying, is it better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all? Is it better to have tasted freedom than to never have tasted freedom before? That, yeah, it hurts. (laughs) And yeah, so you can see why people are so up in arms because it's like, oh my gosh, I have this time now. I could, you know, uh, you know, just to give a personal anecdote, uh, you know, I I didn't spend as much quality time as I wanted to with my family because I had to be up super early in the morning, you know, get on the train or drive or bus, get into the city, spend a whole day there, come back, come home, I'm exhausted, eat a little bit, you know, crash, repeat again and again and again. And that's not a lot, that's a terrible work-life balance. And it wasn't fair to my wife or my kids or my pets or, or, or my family, my friends. And, you know, now looking at it, I'm like, gosh, this is such a better way of living and working where you have that freedom to, to do your job on the way you want to do it, how you want to do it, the times you want to do it, and actually have a, a life. And it is a big difference. And if it's, and it's taken, if the rug is pulled out from under you, it's, it's horrifying almost. Like if right now I have to go back and do the whole commute five days a week, I don't think I could physically, mentally, and emotionally handle it. I don't think I could do that after knowing that there's another way to do it. And there's a financial loss to having to do it as well because gas is so expensive, um, highway tolls. I'm not sure about like uh, Metro cards and stuff. So companies will have to reconcile like the loss that people will have to take financially just to even make it to the office. See, that's the disconnect too. If you have, and, and I go back to this, I don't mean to be redundant, but go back to this, where if you have, let's say these senior level execs in Manhattan who live there, who have the means for nannies and assistance and every everything at their disposal, but the average schmo has to get in their car drive to wherever gas is ridiculous. I imagine anybody who's watching knows like you fill up the gas is 50, 60, 70 bucks. And you have to do that a lot. It depends on how your commute is. And that's just that. Then you go for breakfast because going to the office, not every place is Google that gives you food for free. So you have to go to like these bodegas and whatever that's not so great and not so healthy, but it's a, a cost of fortune. Same thing for lunch. That's a lot of money. And then all of a sudden, now you can't be working your jeans and t-shirts or sweatshirts. You have to get your you know, corporate attire again. And it just adds up. And they don't get it. So, so if, if the, you're driving or if you take mass transit in any big city and people who do this and know their, their monthly uh, tickets, how much they cost, it's really high. Taxes on your house is really high. You know, the real estate taxes. So like, they don't realize that it's such a burden for doing all this, that that's just, it's just, it's just, it's like, it's, it's painful. And it's funny how like none of these people kind of even, you know, I, wouldn't you have more respect for leaders if they came out and said, Hey, I get it. I get that. This is not what you want. I get that. This is going to be, it's going to cost you more money and so forth, but here's why we're doing it. And at least come out with some reasons, some good reasons, some logical reasons. But they don't, you notice they don't do that. Like if you heard companies really say, hey, here's why, here's why I think you should come back. And, and it makes sense. Have, like, 
with all the different companies reported, does any one come to mind? Like they said that you're like, oh, okay, that means it sounds reasonable. Yeah, it's not enough to say you have to come back because we're a work from work company. <laughs> and I felt so sorry for this one reading because you could see she was put in an untenable position. Reading, like just reading between the lines of like how she's describing it, you could tell she she's just caught up in the machinery and trying to make the best of it. Yeah, she was she was buying uh, lunches and cupcakes and really cupcakes. thought she was doing something. I mean, it's adorable. Like trying, to, like, like she, you could tell, like she really is like. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know who he, she is. I don't know anything about her, but just it felt like she's a nice person. Like I don't want to be in this spot because I don't think this is right. I can see a lot of people aren't happy, but I'm stuck. But I'll buy them cupcakes, so maybe they don't hate me as much. <laughs> maybe show like I'm on your side, which I thought was a sweet gesture, even though it doesn't change. But it's just, it does put people in really uncomfortable spots on all levels. Because if you're kind of a, you know, if you're not the one who can make that decision and you have to enforce it for middle managers, that's so uncomfortable. Yeah, I do appreciate her creativity. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's just always goes back to just gauging what the people, what the people want. What do you, what do you think in general that people would want? Like if you had a checklist and, and, and you have to say, hey, you know, obviously everyone's different. Everyone has different needs, but are there certain like core things that you think workers would really ask for? Oh, uh, may I answer first on of course. that? Of course. Okay, because for me, this is real easy. I would love to get paid, you know, earn as much money as I do, uh, have my employer pay me, cover me for health insurance and everything, but yet don't do any work for that company and just live <laughs> my own life. Okay, that's that's my number one goal. I think you got to do some work, right? Well, uh, you know, yeah, I would live my life and create create creative output, but of course, that you know, obviously, doesn't happen. And you're right, Jack. In the long run, the I think there's I, I don't know any percentage on this, but there, I can think of many case studies where you have people that are independently wealthy and their lives just uh, uh, whirlpool down into the toilet. You know, there was uh, one of the Duponts, that wrestler guy. Oh, you hear stories about that, right? All the time, yeah, right? Just, yeah. So, 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 so basically, you're saying you yes. want a job where you get paid well and you could just play the guitar, listen to the Grateful Dead, well, or, or, or just you know, <laughs> actually, if, if you love what you're doing, those are the luckiest people in the world to have a job that's their passion, and if for, they don't have one moment in time where they feel like they're really working, yet they are working tremendously and they love what they do. Not an easy thing to find, but that's the key to success. Unadi, Christine, what do you think, like, if they were surveying people, like, what would be, I think, think? people would be in two camps. There's the people who would think that um, additional, like, compensation would be a fair trade-off, and then there's some people who think that, you know, we saw in the beginning of the pandemic, or right around when they were announcing, like, return to office, people said that they would give up, like, $30,000 raises just to, to, um, continue working remotely. So we have those people who are fine with more money, but for other people, their work-life balance means more to them. So, yeah. You think because it's hard work for management to say, all right, we're going to have one group remote, one group hybrid, one group digital nomads, one group staggered hours. And it's just the laziness factor. It's like too much work to do. So it's just like, no, we're just going to tell everyone to come back. No, we just have a three, like an arbitrary three days a week, which is kind of weird. Like we get to arbitrary, okay, three days a week. This is what it is. You know, I think if you try to 
satisfy everyone with all these different options, it's going to create a bit of, you know, um, envy on those that were comfortable, you know, coming into the office, but then they hear about all the good things of the remote workers. So you're, you're never going to have an even, you know, unanimous kumbaya feeling with all of your employees. And so it's they, no, but the, the, I think what, what I would suggest is that it would be customized to what they want. So, I mean, you could be, what you want might be different than someone else wants. So maybe you're just because what they want is kind of cooler. But then, yeah, maybe just have just different ways of doing it. You have different choices. Like, for instance, do you have, Mike, like, in a perfect world, like a type of work, like, I like getting up early and getting a lot done, like, super early in the morning. Not that I'm a hustle porn kind of, like, mindset, but just I, I got in that habit for my cats waking me up to feed them. So I just got in that habit and like, wow, this is productive. So by like 10 o'clock, I've done a lot of work already. I've been up since like five, literally like five or six working. Cause again, I have to wake up, feed the cats, take care of the dogs. So it's like, let's say by, by 10 o'clock, I literally have like three, four hours under my belt and I feel super productive. But then somebody else, like I know Jake, my son, he rather work like throughout the night and stay up really super late. Mm. So like we have our different styles and that's kind of completely ignored in all this too, right? Like you're, everyone has their different biorhythms where they work better. That's true. And we have all these great um, like software systems now too to help people project manage so that if they're not exactly working on the same like time schedule, exactly, there's still like that communication as to who's doing what when they're doing it. Because how many times do people, it's, it, it almost defies logic. Take the commuter, not to beat that dead horse, but you kind of, you know, you, you have the commuter who comes in tired, cranky. It's going to take a while for them just to get acclimated. So they're probably not going to really do any meaningful work to like 10-ish. And then by 3.30-ish, they're dreading that commute home so they're doing work and like from four on, it's just looking at the clock, counting down, can't wait to run out to cut because they know they're going to hit traffic and just want to bolt out of there because if they don't bolt out of there, everybody else in the, in the office building is crowding into the elevators, going down the elevators, getting into the train and you want to get ahead of them. And it's silly. So it's so much wasted time by doing it that way, right? Yeah, that's why I don't get how they don't see that all, all of this can just like affect their bottom line by having a disengaged, burnt out workforce. You know, you mentioned Nicholas Bloom. There's another professor who's, who's also writing about this and I can't recall his name. And um, uh, he's a Harvard guy. He's did a lot of these studies. And at first I, I kind of wrote about him for a piece and he talked about having this, this is kind of early on with the pandemic that you have a, a Zoom, but it's almost like, a roulette Zoom where you go in and you don't know who you're going to be with, but they try to match, let's say, you know, people who are, you know, recent college grads with CEOs and executives and, and so on. And I didn't say it, but I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, come on, who's going to like, what CEO is going to get on a video, you know, with a recent college grad that seems so, come on, that's so unrealistic. That, I, I didn't say that to the guy. I was thinking that. But fast forward till now in the conversation we're having, it kind of makes sense because if you would put together 
somebody in senior leadership with you know just regular workers and have an open and honest, transparent conversation, it probably would be very illuminating. And I would bet you a lot of these executives would be very shocked to hear the lives of what their workers are going through and how the policies and procedures really aren't made for them to do their best. Whereas for the leaders who have the chauffeurs, who have the nannies, who have you know everybody at their beck and, and call to get things done, they have no clue how hard it is. Executives want that separation because we've even, <laughs> I forget who you wrote about in the past where they had to give up like their, their cushy corner offices and they were being forced to hot desk and they got so mad. <laughs> but just think about how much they could benefit from being amongst the people working, working with them um, more closely, you'll learn like their wants and needs better that way. But they, they like that separation. They like, you know, I'm the boss and this is how it is. See, I see, see, this is what I think it boils down to. You have those several themes. It's like, okay, you have this big investment in real estate and you don't want to be, you don't want to be embarrassed that like, we're not using it. You have, you know, these executives and middle management, up in middle management, who want to boss people around and tell them what to do and have a power ego trip. And that power ego trip has nothing to do with productivity or anything except assuaging their own egos. And, and you don't talk to each other. So then they really don't know what the other people are going through. So it's a very flawed system. And, and, and I can't, like, we've covered the whole return to work probably more than almost anybody in this country in terms of every every permutation of it and i don't think i've heard any company come out and say what we're doing is this we're going to have one-on-ones with the ceo and and you know you know recent grads we're going to have you know the executives having these conversations that really never comes into play at all so it's not even a thought to them which is kind of fascinating in itself isn't it and i think there also should be like amongst like executive teams it goes to show like why it's so important to have diversity because let's say if it's an all all male executive team there's no one there to kind of speak to like the needs of women so that's why I think there needs to be representation also so that there's someone just to to have more understanding understanding and just to speak on what people actually need wait all male like leadership that's come on i don't believe that doesn't happen <laughs> it's a rarity i know <laughs> so you see this is it's almost like politics right where you have your choice you're right you're left what have you conservative liberal and then you're just in that tribe and that's all you do you just interact with that tribe you talk to each other you say the same things your echo chamber is to each other i think that's maybe what happens too right you get into your you know, your, 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 your work tribe, your, I'm in leadership, I'm in management, I'm in C-suite, and you just hobnob with everybody who you're the same as. So then, you know, that's all you know. Exactly. So the only thing you know is like, wait a minute, you know, Christine is getting more stock options than I am. She's getting, you know, a million stock options. I'm only getting 800,000. So that's, that's where you kind of are talking about like the difference, whereas you're not talking about the commutes and other things. Because in their bubble, they're, oh, I'm on this board seat. Christine, Nadia, which board seats are you on? So they don't, their whole world is so different. 
Exactly. You said it best. It's like an echo chamber. It's just very homogenous. And that's why I think there needs to be a diversity of perspectives and, and opinions. See, that should be too. Like, you know how you have diversity inclusion programs? Mm -hmm. It should be kind of diversity in thought, right? Diversity in, you know, a lot of different things. So we kind of understand each other. Diversity, if you have people who have disabilities, if you have people who have young children, if you're caregivers, like there's a lot of different variables that just get swept under the rug. Yeah. That's why it's so important to, to have diversity on executive teams, on, um, on like the board, because then you have just more representation, more people speaking to certain needs. You know, speaking of the board, you never see this. Like they'll see diversity but that means, okay, let's get it. It's almost like you're checking off boxes. Let's get someone from this group, this group, this group. But you don't see, hey, let's say it's General Motors. You won't get somebody, hey, let's get Joey from the assembly line and get him or her on the board so they know what it's like to be on an assembly line. Mm -hmm. Right? Think about that. Like, like the first reaction, if I would say that to people, they would laugh and say, Jack, you're a moron. What's wrong with you? But isn't that real diversity of thought where this is a person who has 25 years, let's say, being on assembly line, doing different tasks, building cars, making cars, you know, knows all about it. Wouldn't it make sense to kind of like, let's get that person on a board as opposed to somebody who's like a celebrity or somebody who, you know, is really super wealthy and this is, they're like a dilettante and oh, I'm going to, I'm on this board, I'm on that board. That's not diversity in thought. Yeah, you can always see where their values fall, whether or not they prioritize either stakeholders or shareholders. Isn't there some degree of, uh, you know, the, the owner of the business who started out, you know, in the mailroom and worked their way up and then now they're a C-level executive on the board as well. So they've experienced all uh, types of, you know, work within that company, whatever it is they do. You know, it's an interesting point. So that you see something like Walmart is like that, where you know people started and worked their way up, and now you know could be this you know CEO. But I wonder too, is there a fallacy in that? Is that you start out a certain way, but thirty years later you're a different person. You travel in different circles. You could remember what it was like, mm -hmm. but you're not there anymore. You know what I mean? You're not hanging out with the gang, you know what I mean? On Friday night going bowling or whatever, but now you're playing golf at this exclusive resort with other CEOs. So I don't, it's interesting, Mike. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Is it that you still have that blue collar roots and it stays with you? Or 20 and 30 years later, you're just, you've changed. You're a different person. Right. I think some people would still have the roots and, and bring that uh, to the business. But here's the other thing on the extreme you're talking about. If you get, you know, Joe from the assembly line, you know, uh, you know, hauling the transmissions and putting them into the chassis uh, and all of a sudden, you know, next week or, or next month or next year, he's a, he or she is a board member. Um, you know, there's certain skills and decisions and, and ways to conduct yourself on a board where, that kind of, you know, uh, you know, go out to the bar, go to the sports games. I'm not, I'm not downing it, but, you know, you have to be a realist and realize that, you know, it, it just, as you said, it, it's a different type of environment. 
would a person like that sabotage the board and what would the company turn into? Well, I, you know, I hear you saying that it's somebody who is, let's say, on that assembly line to have all the responsibilities aboard might be challenging to do right away, but maybe the person could be brought up to speed Ooh. and could learn. But also, I could just tell you from my own personal life, I enjoy so much speaking to people and chatting people up from all different kinds of walks of life because I really do like hearing what they do, what they're about, how they think of things, because I purposely try not to be in my own bubble of people who are kind of like me, who have the same thought process, because it's, it's really eye-opening when you, know, you actually listen to people and hear their stories and what they go through and what have you, and you learn so much from that. So that's the same thing with these companies. That's why there's, a, again, we'll go back to this, why I think there's such a big disconnect because that doesn't really happen. Because if you were, if you did have these conversations, I think there'd be more empathy too. There'd be more compassion, more empathy where they, I didn't realize that. You mean, you mean, Christine, you don't have a nanny? Huh? <laughs> you don't have, you know what I mean? You know, you have, wait, you have to take the bus? And I would imagine that a lot of people will be shocked. Senior execs, like, wait, I didn't realize, I mean, maybe intellectual, but like what, you know, there's a difference between kind of knowing it, but actually hearing it from people where it sinks in. I agree. Those are all good points. I kind of like where the conversation <laughs> headed. It was unexpected, but I think it was, uh, it's definitely interesting. I think diversity. <laughs> well, see, this is what's cool about the metaverse. <laughs> it's, you, can't, you know what it's it's it could be we have a structure sort of of what we're going to talk about but it's 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 kind of this freedom to just be open and have a dialogue and you know could have different points of view but not yelling and arguing and fighting with each other just hear each other out and and you know so i think everybody who's watching this and when we edit it and, and put it on social media again, you know, you can have your own thoughts and you can feel free to comment on it. And I promise you, if you comment on it, we're not going to be like, well, that's a dumb idea. And if anyone does that, we'll just delete it. So this way, you know, you could kind of share your thoughts as well. And as always, if you have any other, any ideas for topics, <laughs> I see Mike totally jumping up and down, <laughs> any topics, any ideas, let us know. And I really appreciate you watching us. Let us know if you don't mind, you know, let us know what you think of what we're doing in virtual reality. Is it good? Is it not good? Is it weird? Is it goofy? Whatever, you won't hurt our feelings. And, and we're gonna keep trying to do either ourselves having uh, a LinkedIn Live or having a guest, you know, kind of mix it up a little bit to keep it interesting. Try different, and we're gonna try different virtual reality platforms, different metaverses. If somebody has one to recommend, let us know. And uh, thank you very much for watching and listening. And, uh, and there's a different kind of style because it's more freeform. So it takes, I think, I think takes us, you know, I'm glad that uh, you know, we have an audience that's smart and likes this kind of stuff. And before we leave, Unadi, Christine, Mike, any other parting thoughts? I think like the conversation we had today are the same conversations that should be happening at the companies. And then to kind of go back to like the return to office, as like a word of caution, if you see your company offering more perks, you have to ask yourself, are these perks that actually benefit me or the company? Companies offering free lunches, dinners, laundry, 
and like sleep pods. Like those are just ways to get them to Wait, get, what was the last one? What was that? Like sleep pods. You know how like Google has like sleep pods? Oh. Yeah, those those are just ways. <laughs> That's right. Them. I forgot that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Those are just ways for them to get you to work longer like without having to pay you more. They're trying to blur the line of between like work and life. So, I just urge people to be cautious of that because I think we'll see a lot of companies try to come up with perks to try to get people to want to come back. So just ask yourself, does this serve me or does it serve the company? And always revert to just asking for more, more money or better benefits or paid time off. Mike and Adi, any last thoughts? I really don't have anything else to add. I think these are all great points and a fantastic discussion. And Adi? Uh, I'm like, I, I, I also need a nanny. <laughs> <laughs> so Nadi's looking for a nanny. So anyone's looking for a So if anyone here has a reasonably priced nanny in New Jersey, in the Monroe area, uh, feel free to reach out to Unadi or knows like a good uh, childcare facilities, which or, or like as I understand for, is super expensive, right? Uh, or or uh, feel free to join in and we can interview you during our next uh, metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I saw like, as you say that, yeah, executive level of manager, they have like a nanny. So they will not understand like, you know, what is childcare, you know, the issue of childcare. So that's why I'm saying that uh, we, I also need a nanny. And you're saying that from firsthand experience, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Unadi worked from home and, and also raised a toddler at the same time. So I have so much respect for women that had to do that. So, so, so her daughter's going to end up being like a, a, a knowing tech at an early age and recruiting at an early age. She's going to be very advanced. Yeah, but, she's going to give like a career advice. And yes, she's <laughs> yes. a Web three expert. <laughs> yes, it's just, you know she's starting out young. She's like a. Do they have an expression like for an Indian tiger mom? Like what would be like where you have your your daughter doing all these things at such a young age? Not really, but no, she okay. is definitely going to learn metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> we can bring her in next time. We'll have an avatar for her and she can just hang out. Now, oh. you know what? We lost the dogs. I don't know what happened to them. Oh. I was thinking about that earlier. Did you feed them, Jack? No. <laughs> is your room? I... Did you feed them? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I don't think you feed these <laughs> dogs. Or do you? I don't. All right. All right. Okay. All right, so we 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 get we got to go, but I'm gonna have we're gonna have to check on the dogs. Yeah, we're gonna have to put up freaky. lost dog signs. We have to go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Bye bye. Bye.